The man who refuses to quit cannot be stopped. My name's Shawn Michael Crane. Welcome to the Unstoppable Mindset Podcast. Imagine if you woke up next week and you were feeling a little funny and you went to the doctor and found out you had terminal cancer and your life was over in a couple of weeks. They said, hey, John, hey, Gary, hey, Steve, you have a month to live. Or what if you hit somebody on the way home driving today and they charge you with homicide or manslaughter and they give you 30 years in prison? What are the things in your life that you wish you would have done? When it's all said and done, when you look back, what are the parts of your life that you wish you would have lived differently? Right now, you have the opportunity to make a change. Right now, I'm down here in Pierpont, Ventura, California, where I'm filming this podcast episode at what we call The Castle with Wonder Mouse Productions. Shout out to Wonder Mouse. This is going to be part two of episode one, talking about my time of incarceration. So last I spoke with you guys, I was talking to you about my childhood and growing up really in a volatile household and how that led me to running from my problems in life and really losing myself in the process. And I went through a really dark period of life from 14 till, till I was 23, till I found myself in a jail cell. From 14 till 23, I hated my life. I hated my life and who I was becoming. I seldom had any joy. I didn't think about my future in a favorable way at all. I had no motivation, no inspiration, and I wasn't doing anything that I was proud of in life. What a miserable existence at 14, 15, 16 as this young person when you're supposed to be thinking about college and your future and really discovering who you are that I was in such a dark place, really a mental prison. And then at 23, when I was arrested, everything changed for me. I found myself in a jail cell by myself. And it gave me more time to contemplate my life and really think on a deeper level than ever before. But it wasn't easy by any means. Going to jail is not an ideal setting to work on yourself. Although my cell became a place where I personally developed my mindset, my habits, where I really discovered more about myself than ever before, the first month wasn't a place that was a happy place. It was a really dark and negative time in my life. The first night that I got booked into the county jail, I walked back and I went into what they call the tanks. And in the tanks, you're living with other people. You have about 20 25 people in the tanks at a time and you're on bunk beds all in close proximity and at this time they didn't even have a bunk for me available it was one in the morning so my first night in jail I slept on the floor and I was coming off all the drugs and alcohol and I just felt miserable and I was really in shock and disbelief and at this point I still thought that they were going to let me go I thought that it was either mistaken identity or they were trying to scare me and I was going to end up getting out of jail and so I went to court two days later and I'll never forget that day. I walked into the courtroom and I was shackled up at my wrists and ankles. And as I entered the courtroom, I saw my family members sitting there in the audience. And there was a bunch of people from the Santa Barbara news press taking my picture. And they actually put my picture on the front page of the news press the next day. And it said, Sean Crane charged with attempted murder. 
And as I walked closer towards the front of the courtroom, I saw my lawyer quickly approaching me. And it was a woman. She was actually my lawyer's assistant. And I was hopeful to see somebody who was there to help me. I thought maybe she was going to say something about me getting released that day or have some good news. But she didn't have any good news. She actually walked up to me and she pointed over her shoulder and she said, you see the judge and the DA talking? They want to amend your charges permanently to homicide. They don't think the victim's going to make it. And she then went back to doing her paperwork and she didn't even look back at me. And so I sat down and in that moment, I'm sitting in this courtroom shackled up. Everyone's looking at me, staring at me. And they're telling me that my charges are going to be amended to homicide, which obviously carries life in prison. And I was 23 years old. I remember in that moment, it was too surreal for me to even believe. Like I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. I was in shock. I was still probably high on drugs and alcohol from, from you know, all of the time that I was abusing them, um, mainly drugs, still coming off of the drugs. I was just in this haze, and it was so severe. Can you imagine sitting in the courtroom at 23, knowing in your heart that you didn't commit the crime that you're arrested for, and having the, your own lawyer tell you that they're going to change your charges, having the judge and the DA wanting to send you to prison for the rest of your life. You know, nobody was there to help me. I was just helpless in that moment. And so I remember I went back to the jail that day. And when they transport you to and from court, you have so much time to just think. You're sitting in a holding cell for hours on end. Then they take you back on the bus, and then you're sitting in your cell for hours or days on end. You know, in jail in general, you have tons of time to reflect and think. And this was one of the most impactful things in my life because I had never really thought on a deep level about my life or about what I had gone through with my parents and all the different situations that I really just suppressed and tried to move past. And so I found myself sitting in a jail cell. I got moved to a cell because I had gotten a couple fights. And so then they put me into an area of the jail where you go when you're getting in trouble and you're basically on lockdown. So I was on lockdown for 24 hours a day. Every other day they'd take you out to shower and sometimes you'd get to go out to a yard, which was just a concrete box. But most times they made an excuse for why you weren't getting yard that day. So I was really just living in my cell for 24 hours a day and the cell was so small I could reach out and literally touch both walls at the same time. Like, can you imagine that? Go into your closet, your bathroom, if you just have a normal size house or apartment, and just go sit in your bathroom and look around and imagine never leaving for 24 hours a day for eight months straight. But here and there, you might, you know, get to walk down the hallway or here and there, you might get escorted to court. Like that was the extent of my life at that time. And so when I found myself in that cell, at first, I was just in shock. I was in disbelief. I was man, I was so horrified as to what was taking place in my life. And I remember just sitting in there and I just started thinking about the life that I had lived. You know, I started thinking about all the memories from childhood and how beautiful life was early on and how I had so much ambition and I thought that I was going to be a professional athlete and how I used to go into the backyard every day after school and throw the baseball on the roof and dive around and catch it and pretend that I was in the big leagues. You know, I had such a a heart of gold, man. I had these dreams and these passions inside of me, and I just felt fully capable to go out into that world and to be the person I wanted to be. And I had no fear. There was no limitations. There was nothing stopping me. And how in the blink of an eye, my whole world went dark and cold. And I, I uncovered the truth about my parents, and I saw things that scarred me 
and it changed me, man. And I had so much shame inside of me for the person I had become because I knew my true self, but I had let that person die away. And I felt so guilty for not pursuing that kid's vision, for not bringing that boy's dreams to reality. And I was so angry at my parents. How could they do this to me? How could my mom leave us? Why couldn't my dad ever get sober and just be the man I needed? You know, these were the thoughts that were just keeping me up at night in that cell, and I couldn't escape them. And for the first time in my life, I had to face my pain. I had to acknowledge the truth about my life and what it had come to. I couldn't run from it anymore. There was no drugs. I couldn't just open that cell door and leave. I had to feel it. And for the first time in my entire life, I embraced my truth and I felt all the emotion and pain that I had suppressed for all those years. I started to write about it. I started to think about it. And I remember one day, I just had this feeling, this idea just surfaced within me. I should write my parents letters of forgiveness. And I don't know where this idea came from. It was just something that happened organically. But I remember I jumped off my rack and I started writing. And I just would cry as I was writing these letters, thinking about all of the tough times that we went through. And at first, the reason I wrote the letters to my parents is because I was worried that they were going to die when I was in prison. I was worried that they were going to continue to self-destruct. And they were both just barely hanging on. You know, my dad and my mom had both been homeless at times. They had both abused drugs heavily. And they were barely just clinging on to life. But I loved them still. And I wanted my parents, I wanted to have a relationship with them when I got home. And I don't know if maybe if it was just my way of making things right or acknowledging the past or why I really sat down to write those letters. But when I did, I felt this huge release, this weight just lift off my shoulders. It was the first time in my life I had acknowledged that these things took place. Because there's a big difference between having thoughts and having feelings that no one knows about or that you just entertain by yourself. And then there's a, you know, a big difference between you actually articulating your inner feelings and your thoughts. And just the act of writing, putting it on paper, helped me to realize that these things did happen, that this was real, that this was my life. You see, for all those years, I was in denial trying to pretend it wasn't true. But me sitting down to write about it and eventually get to the point where I could talk about it helped me to accept and move past my past. And so if there's anyone listening right now, I want you to know if you have trauma, resentments, anger towards people in your past, traumatic experiences that you've gone through, things that you still think about often, until you get to the point where you can write about them and talk about them without getting emotional or upset and angry, they're still going to wreak havoc on you internally. And that's probably why you still drink. That's probably why you, know, you still hold back in life. That's probably why you binge eat. That's probably why you take pills. Like we use these coping mechanisms to try to cover up our wounds, but that pain is still very much alive inside of us. And that's what was taking place in my life for all those years. I could have been anything I wanted. I could have done anything that, you know, my heart was calling me to do in life, but I was wounded. I was compromised. And because of that, I held back. You see, when we go through tough times in life, we make it about us. We feel ashamed. We feel like it labels us. It defines us but it doesn't. Only you can define you through your actions and how you live. Your past doesn't have to define you in the present, but too many of us let it because we're unwilling to talk about it and face it because we feel ashamed. We feel embarrassed, but that's a part of your life. It's a part of your story. 
And like I said in the last episode, your adversity becomes an asset when you embrace it. And that's what I started learning how to do. This was the first step, me just acknowledging my past. And then when I did that, I started to feel differently. But I still couldn't escape my regret. And I remember every night, I would just be tormented by the realization that I didn't play high school sports, that I didn't try to go to college, that I wasn't on my way to play as a Yankee or a Red Sox or, you know, a Dodger. Like, I should have been in the minor leagues working my way up into the major leagues. I was a gifted athlete. I loved sports. It was my life. And I let that part of me just die away when things got bad. And I thought about just not trying in school. I thought about not being a good brother to my siblings, not being, you know, a good nephew to Uncle Mike who was just giving his life to take care of us. I thought about all the trouble that I got and I thought about the knuckleheads that I hung out with and how I just wasted my life, you know, and it was just tormenting me and eating me alive. The pain of that regret was the worst pain I have ever known. At that point in my life, the pain of regret was worse than the life sentence I was facing. This is the premise of my message and everything that I do today stems from knowing that pain. You don't know that pain. You don't know what it's going to be like when you get to the end of your life and you look back and you see things that you should have done, things that your heart was calling you to do, but you held back or you made an excuse or you let fear stop you. My whole life to that point, I let fear and doubt dictate my decision making. And when I sat in that cell and I saw the life that I had just created, my decisions, my actions, it tortured me. Because I realized that I was in control and at any point I could have changed. I should have changed and now I didn't and it was too late. And these people were going to send me to prison for the rest of my life for a crime I didn't commit. And it was over and there was nothing I could do to go back and do it again. And I really felt like I was dying in that cell. The pain, the truth, it was just killing me in that cell every day. There were undeniable truths and principles that we all ignore. But you see the people that are thriving in life, they don't ignore them. They embrace them and they live by them. And they started to smack me in the face left and right in that cell. And for the first time in my life, I was paying attention because I knew what was at stake. Something inside of me was changing. And the combination of my sobriety, which now I had a month or two of sobriety, being incarcerated and all this isolation, 23, 24 hours a day in a cell with nothing and the severity of my circumstances, life in prison, life, your life's over. The combination of these components shifted something in me energetically, internally, spiritually that changed my life forever. I've never been the same since because I know what's at stake. I felt that pain and it changed me. And I remember at that point in my life, I didn't know how much time I was going to do in prison. I didn't know what the future held in store for me. But I made two promises to the depth of my being about who I was going to be for the rest of my life. These were commitments. This was about my identity. I could no longer live as somebody that I despised. I was was no longer going to contribute to the pain and regret that I was feeling. And the first promise that I made was simple but undeniable. It was that I was going to be my best self every moment for the rest of my life in everything that I did. No matter what I was doing, I was all in. That was my mentality. I was going to show people who I really was. I was going to show up in life as the person in my heart I was called to be. Not someone holding back. 
not someone living by fear and excuses and doubt. I was all in. The second promise I made to myself was that I was going to be sober for the rest of my life. This wasn't that I was going to maybe drink sometimes on holidays or maybe I was going to cut back. No, I was sober every moment from that second for the rest of my life. That was 10 years ago, and I haven't touched drugs or alcohol ever since, and I never will. These two promises were the foundation of my growth and my transformation. I was seeking redemption at this point. I had to make it all right. My past, my mistakes, that kid that I didn't allow to pursue his dreams that was so hurt and heartbroken, I had to make it right for him. I had to break this curse, this generational curse of my family. They called it the crane curse. All my uncles went to prison. My family members, they abused drugs and alcohol. We were dysfunctional, and they blamed it on a crane curse. I heard my dad talk about it all the time. I was going to break that curse. My kids weren't going to be cursed like I was. My kids, kids, kids weren't even going to hear of this curse. This was the new mission that I embarked upon. And at this point, I still didn't know how much time I was going to do in prison. I didn't know what the future held in store for me. I just had to do this for me so that I could go to sleep at night knowing that I was giving my all to this life. The worst feeling in the world is not being in a physical prison. The worst feeling in the world is being trapped in a mental prison where you live in a world of endless opportunities, yet you're too restricted by your own thinking and your own inner fears to act upon that calling that you have in your heart. That's a death sentence. And too many people die with regrets because they allow this mental prison to confine them and to suffocate and suppress their spirit and their potential. And if you're one of those people right now, you have the chance to change. I don't care if you're 90 years old. I don't care if you're 60, if you're 45. I have men that reach out and work with me from all over the world at all different ages. How are you treating the people around you every day? Are you working a job you love? Are you doing what you love every day? Are you doing it begrudgingly? You had a job you hate. Are you taking care of your health? Are you neglecting your health? Are you eating this shitty food that they promote on TV? Are you drinking? Are you taking pills? Are you avoiding exercise? Are you making excuses? Like how much of your life are you really living? If you live just one day surrendering to your truth and letting go of these limitations and restraints that you've allowed to confine you, you'll find freedom and fulfillment and it'll be the best feeling you've ever had in your life. But if you don't, you're gonna get to the end of your life and you're gonna be pleading and begging God for a second chance. That's what's going to torture you to death. You're living and existing in a living hell right now if that's you. And only you can change. Only you can break free of this mental prison. It's work. It's effort. And it's worth it. I promise you that. Thanks for checking out the episode. Please make sure to subscribe from whatever platform you're tuning in from to check out more content from Unstoppable Mindset in the future. I'd love it if you could leave a review as well and make sure to share this episode with someone that can find value in this message. You can find me on all major social media platforms at Shawn Michael Crane, as well as on YouTube at Unstoppable Mindset, where I'm gonna keep bringing you value and fire to serve you in your life.